With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Page Publishing Book Club. How you doing? I'm Alice Stockton Rossini. A former criminal investigator for the state of New Jersey, Michael Albright started writing when his son wound up on the cancer floor of Mount Sinai Medical Center. And that's when he was inspired to write It Begins. And I'll tell you, it's out of this world. They have a very large lobby and they had these windows that you can actually stand in. So one night about I guess it was around 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. I was just wandering around, and I went into one of the windows looking out at the northern part of the city. And a woman came along and got in the next window, and she started talking, and she goes, you see that building over there? And she goes, that's where the woman was abducted from. So I'm thinking, I read the Times twice today, and there wasn't anything about a female being abducted. And she goes, no, no, by aliens. You know, and she said she was removed from her apartment, taken up into a spacecraft. So I go, okay, you know, and excuse myself. And I went back to my son's room. And at the time, he was getting NTSB reports, National Transportation Safety Board reports, because he was in aviation. So I sat down and started reading some of the reports. And there was a story in there or a report on an airliner that disappeared over the Congo. And they never found a trace of it nothing it was never found they did an extensive land and uh, search and they couldn't find it so taking those two facts together what the woman told me and that i started crafting a story about ufos and what they're doing here was there like a lot of time when you were visiting your son a lot of time where you were just kind of sitting around yeah and that's why i started writing it you know and it gave us something to do because I'd write something and he'd criticize it, of course. How old is he? Uh, today he's 40. So how old was he then? He was 16. He was 16? He, what kind of cancer did he have? He didn't have cancer. He came down with what a uh, disease called Fisteria, which is a copper-borne poison. And it required extensive hospitalization. And they treated it as Crohn's. And he's been on drugs for you know past 20 some years and today he has four different types of cancer so it gave you guys uh, kind of something to bond over yeah exactly uh the book is basically it's an international adventure filled with um danger romance and uh dedication on the part of an organization called space command to fend off the alien threat and they do it very effectively. And it's a determination of what the aliens are actually up to. You know, a lot of people think aliens were, or, you know, they were curiosity for many. And it became a constant thought that they were of a benevolent nature, which in the book, they are not. <laughs> this is part one. Part two is being published now. 
And um, it's an interesting book. It's gotten pretty good reviews on Amazon. And uh, it's suggestive that, you know, it's also a book for women that would be interested in because there is a romance element, which is pretty pronounced. And uh, it's basically Space Command is an, an association based out of the U.S. Navy who deals with the alien threat and how to repel it. It's just interesting because there's a lot of talk about UFOs right now. Yeah, and I've seen a couple which helped out, you know, in writing it. You have. You know, I was doing a check ride on a KC-135 tanker. I don't know if you're familiar with that refuels other aircraft in the air okay and at the back of the aircraft is a station called the boomer and that actually lowers down from the body of the aircraft and you lay on these couches and you're waiting for a plane to come up and then the boomer himself will fly the boom to connect it to an aircraft so him and i were laying there there was f-15s coming in and I'm looking around for the F-15s, I can't see him. He taps me on the shoulder and motions over to the right. And on the right-hand side of the aircraft, we saw this beautiful silver craft starting to lose altitude over the ocean. And we watched it as it slipped under the waves, you know, which was pretty bloody amazing. Is that in the book? Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> oh, geez, I love that. Put that in the next book. Thanks, Michael. Tragedy hit Danielle Bell in a way she could have never imagined. She moved to the States from Guam after her husband was killed. But through writing, she's able to tell her story and do exactly what the title says, learning to live again. Um, he was a cyclist and a young man was uh, texting and he was speeding and he ran a red light on the island of Guam. My husband was going across the street with his bike and he got hit and was killed instantly. And then that's why um, my family and I um, uprooted and moved to the States. So what happened to this guy? Um, he actually ended up going to prison and um, it was a, quite a lengthy trial. But once everything was done, my son and I decided it was time to just move on to a new, new adventure because it was, it was just very difficult for us. And it's going on six years in June. And let me tell you, it doesn't get any easier. So what saved me was I um, just started writing. I just very cathartic to sit and write and write and write. And then I decided to publish what I'd written to hopefully, hopefully it will help other people who've gone through tragedy. And my husband, I was very fortunate. I had a beautiful marriage. And we were soulmates and are soulmates. And um, my book is basically about learning to live again without him. And also I talk about just our beautiful marriage and then also forgiveness of the person who did this. Because the guy that did it, Eddie Camacho Tadata, was he didn't do it intentionally. So it was learning to also say, I forgive you and we have to move on. That had to be really difficult. It was very difficult. And at one point when I was in the trial, I actually said to him, just please don't, you know, make this who you are. Don't let this define you. Move on with your life once you're out, when you're not incarcerated anymore. Because I'll just say it, my life is incarcerated because I'll never forget my husband and never stop missing him. How do you move forward, though? That's a good question. My, I, um, I think I moved forward by just going, you know what? God gave me this wonderful, beautiful man. And I was able to have my son, Nicholas, and my stepson, George. And I think if I hadn't had all that, then I don't think I could have moved forward. But 
I think I tried to take the good out of something that was very bad and very tragic. Are you able to go out and talk to groups, you know, where they discuss these kinds of things? That's one thing I really want to do is share my story because it's a beautiful story. I mean, my husband was in a remarkable, gorgeous soul. And and then after he passed on, he never left. He kept coming back. How so? He would come back, actually physically. He would come back and visit me. I've got many videos of him. And um, it's a very interesting story how he would come back. You have him on video? Yes, I do. I do have quite a few videos. The first video was when I'd set up cameras because when my husband was killed, the family was sending me really bad, horrible messages. My mom was one of the first to receive a really bad um, phone call, of threatening phone calls. And so from my family's advice, they said, Danielle, let's put up cameras. And I did. So the first video was my husband walking through my kitchen in Guam. And my husband was so distinctive. He was six foot seven. And in Guam, that's huge. And he had a very distinctive uh, walk. And then after that, there were one video after another. What's it look like? It's, it's him. It's him. You can see him. It was very weird. It was, but you know, at the same time, it was heartwarming. It was so loving. And I remember the, when I first saw it and we put it on the huge screen and we're all looking at it and we're going, that's Eric. Because what he did was the light would go on and off in the kitchen. Cause apparently when a spirit tries to manifest itself, it uses it, the energy from the electricity. And I never, believe me, I didn't even believe in any of this stuff until it started happening to me, but he was such a beautiful soul. And we were so connected that he got killed so fast and so instantly in such a violent way that I think he had a really hard time passing on. And, um, and also the love between myself and also our whole family. How long were you married? 25 years. Jesus, I'm so sorry. Thank you. But that morning when he left, he left at 530 in the morning. And I knew, Alice, something was really wrong. And uh, I just felt it. And I asked him not to go. And he did. And I knew at 6.08 a.m. that morning that something very tragic had happened. I knew immediately. And I'd called my sons and told them. I said, guys, something bad has happened to your dad. And I was hysterical, as anyone would be. And, um, and unfortunately, that's it, it. he was killed. And you had a feeling. Oh, totally. Yeah. Do you have um, a website or anything dedicated to your book? Oh, we're putting it together right now. And then I also just started the Eric Jameson Bell Charities, I should say. And we're working on so many things right now. And it's, you know, it's been a, it's been a real journey. It's been a real, real change. Well, you sure are an inspiration, Danielle. Thanks so much for sharing your story. After 26 years in the military, Charles A. Stewart has so many stories to tell. So uh, we're just getting started with Cry of the Eagle. Think Tom Clancy. How'd you get started, Charles? My wife and daughter got me started in journaling. And then COVID hit and I'm climbing the walls. What, what the heck am I going to do? So um, I thought maybe I could write a book. And I've always wanted to, but I really just didn't have had any inkling on how you do it and the, the, how the industry works. So I sat down one day and wrote an outline. I'm like, I think I can do this. And within a week I had 20 pages and I was like, I can do this. And so it never, I just kept on going. I use a lot of my military experience and things that I witnessed to or was a part of, especially the actions part, but basically the book is about one of the most elite organizations in the world, which is an organization within CIA called the Special Activities Division. And it's their special operators within that division 
And basically, it's about a character. His name's Colt Hawkins. He leads a elite unit called Task Force 2-4. And it's about men and women within that task force. And they're trying to keep the country safe. And in my book, Cry of the Eagle, it's basically about NASA sends up a, a satellite called the Eagle 9. And it comes down within 24 hours. And they're investigating and in the investigation and current events of what's going on in other places of the world. Colt Hawkins and and Task Force 24 is sent to retrieve the recovery of Eagle 9. And when they're there, Russian uh, mercenaries and uh, Iran radicalists are, are there waiting on them and trying to do the same thing and trying to retrieve. And then it just, the story involves of what goes on and basically Task Force in ends up trying to save the country. It sounds like you have some intimate knowledge of this. A little bit. I was I was fortunate enough to be on uh, President Bush's presidential detail as a sniper. I was a sniper for 18 years. And, you know, you, every threat that you are briefed on, you have to take it for real. And I used some of the things that I was exposed to and just kind of made a story out of it and just kind of ran with it. That's what I do. And uh, a lot of the action shots, like I said, are my personal experiences when I was deployed. I was deployed in Desert Storm and then Iraq four times and Afghanistan three times. And then I was, once I retired, I was, I contracted, I was in the diplomatic personal security service for a couple of uh, government agencies in high threat areas. If you've seen 13 hours Benghazi, that's kind of what I did. And uh, I did that in Iraq. I lived in Iraq for three years. Wow. You have a lot to draw on. (laughs) Is there a sequel? Oh yeah. I already, I've already wrote the second book and I'm writing the third now. And right now, looking for representation for the sequel. Uh, I consider it, it it will be my breakout novel. It's about 90,000 words. So, uh, you know, for a reader, that's between 350, 400 pages or so. And uh, it is the sequel. And it, and then, like I said, I've already started the third book and I'm about halfway finished writing it. So it will be a series. Uh, I'm going to at least get six books done in the series. And it may take me to, you know, if it takes me to 10 to 12 books, that's fine. I'm just going to, if and if a reader likes a Tom Clancy, a W.E.B. Griffin, a Larry Bond, then my book is right up your, your, your list. Uh, it's just like that. Unfortunately, I, um, I'm a hundred percent disabled veteran and, uh, I was given a service dog through the VA and, and she helps me with my mobility and PTSD. And so we go around speaking for in veteran events or anybody really, and talk about my story, plug in my book. I've been on several radio shows, TV. So word is getting around and we just found out, uh, two weeks ago that my book is in the UK selling pretty well. Uh, my, if anybody listens to this, you can go to uh, www.charlesastewart-officialsite.com and you can sign up for my briefings for what's going on in the world of Chuck and my books and Task Force 2-4 and Coat Hawkins. All right, Charles. Thank you so much. 
Vicki Burt directed plays and taught speech theater in high school, so creativity was already a part of her life before she wrote The Adventures of Prissy Priscilla, book one. Now, tell me about these adventures. I started telling the stories to my daughter when she was about 18 months old because the introduction, like a dedication, I'll just read what it says. <clears throat> the book is dedicated to my only child, Paige, who, when having her hair washed as a young child, would scream and cry until God gave me the idea of telling her stories about a little girl named Prissy Priscilla because I didn't want to take her out of the bathtub and spank her. I thought that was ridiculous. <laughs> so actually, I prayed for something that was creative to do. And when I started telling her these stories, when I was shampooing her hair, she stopped and she listened. So when I babysat a friend of mine who also helped to illustrate the book, his children, when they were much younger, okay, she's graduated and in college now. And I would say at the time she was probably about five, she would say, tell me another one. And so they overheard me telling these stories and they actually said, Vicki, write a book. So I'm talking about, we're going on like 15 to 20 years, but my daughter, who I tell the stories to, is now 41. Wow, that took a while, huh? <laughs> sure did. But it, for me, it's all about God's timing. So it's about the little prissy girl who gets herself into trouble. She's very precocious, mischievous, and she learns lessons because former teacher, I'm always wanting to tell something that will help somebody learn a valuable lesson. She comes home. That's the way it begins. And because there's a little brother, he's a bit jealous. So he's having to learn how to cope with that. And at the end, then there's some discussion questions for the younger kids. You know, because it can range, if you've got a sibling that's older that's reading it to a younger child, then they're interested as well. And so I have that, and then there's some suggested activities for it. Give me an example. What did you learn from this story? Because if you don't learn anything, what's the point? I'm sorry. I don't care how old you are. We can always learn something. How many books are we talking? Good Lord have mercy. How many stories did I tell that child? <laughs> I made all kinds of stories up. I made one about a dog that knocks over stuff in the kitchen, and she blames her brother and all kinds of, I mean, seriously, all kinds of things. I made made the story up about how she goes to London and meets the queen, but she gets all messed up while she's trying to curtsy for the queen. I'm Because I was very inventive and creative and I would talk voices. I think that's something else because kids would listen to me. I would go back and sub where I taught for so long and started actually the theater program at Parkview Baptist School. So they, they would say, oh, can you tell us another one? Like if I was in a kindergarten class and I said, depends on if you get your work done. Get your work done, you'll see. <laughs> Do you have a certain number in mind or? I would say around maybe eight to 10, somewhere in there. All right, very ambitious, Vicki. I know I'll be talking to you again. Thank you. Page Publishing Book Club fans might remember Janice Owens and her first book, Gilbert and Max. It's about how two animals bring a young couple together. Well, now the couple is moving to the next level in book two. But first, Janice, you have to tell us why you started the series in 2010. I ordered ink from Dale. The first order I did not get. Uh, so they called them and they sent me another. And the day after I got the second order, I got the first one. So I didn't know what I was going to do with it, and I thought, oh, well, I'll just write a kid's book. And 
this hasn't turned out to be a kid's book. <laughs> I mean, what better reason to write a book than because you have too much ink, right? I love that story. Uh-huh. All right, Janice, bring us up to speed. It's a series of three books. The first one is how uh, the dog and the cat gets the couple together. Gilbert and Max is uh, the pets of uh, the couple that gets together. Gilbert is the cat and Max is the dog. It was just a coincidence that they met uh, at a grocery store and everything, and then they just started dating and stuff, and it just happened, you know. He's filthy rich, and he moved into a community, and uh, they met because of Gilbert and Max, because he would take Max, his dog, for a walk and everything, and Gilbert would end up watching them. Well, Gilbert got hard to watch him, too, you know, by the way that he acted and everything. They fall in love, and that's in the first book. The second book is what we're uh, going over right now, and uh, it's the wedding. What they've got to end up, because they want to go ahead and get married instead of waiting for like a June wedding and everything. So they pick the date of December the 19th. And they know what they've got to end up doing because they've got to end up finishing his mansion that he started building. They've got to end up moving into it because they want the wedding in the mansion. And they've got 33 days to do it all in. From the day that they started wanting to get married to the 19th, that's how long it takes. The deal is that the guy that was working on the place, it did not work out with them. So they had to end up calling the family in, his family from Texas, to help them get it done that quick because they could not get it done that quick without help. It, it's a kind of a cliffhanger this way. The next book will be kind of the end of the story. They do get married. All right, Janice, you're enjoying this? Yes, I am. I I enjoyed writing. Did you use up all the ink? Yeah, I used up all the ink. Dr. Kirk Morton is right across the river here in New Jersey where he's a Protestant minister who believes millennials in particular need to hear what he has to say. In his book, The Phenomenology of Death, death is not the end of life. You know, when I was growing up, you know, people pretty much lived out the longevity of their lives. But today you're seeing all different age groups expire and they don't have an understanding of the cycle of life. And so that was written under the auspices to reach all people, but particularly the millennials who who are living in in an age where they are in such despair about what life is all really all about. First of all, many people misconstrued the book title the phenomenology of death, and they they have their own fears about death. But my book will tell them that there is no death in the spirit. And my book is about life. And uh, the main idea is to help people understand that there is no death in the spirit. Do you feel like the millennials don't get it? Uh, I'm a part of the baby boomers. And um, we are believers but I'm not sure if whether or not we have conveyed the, the faith motif to our children, our grandchildren, our nieces and our nephews. So I'm not sure uh, if they get it, but when a person is able to speak about their worldview, 
then you're able to glean from um, their worldview whether or not they're getting it or not. And most young people do have a worldview where God exists. Well, that's hopeful. That's hopeful, yes. I'm calling this book my Oreo because it's a real thin book, but it's really good. It's really going to get convey the message that life is not uh, ending when a person physically dies in the physical realm. Um, I use the platform of Facebook, Instagram, uh, Messenger, uh, word of mouth, people to people, person to person. Through my connect network, and hopefully people will share it on their network, and it, it will go. So pretty much people have a good response to it. I have a couple of fraternity brothers who, you know, are going to send me a couple of links where they have people that re review your book and then give you a, a visibility through their platform as well. Great. That's that's a way to go. Thank you so much, Dr. Morton. Good luck. Mara Lacewing has been writing poetry for as long as she can remember, but it was the pandemic and a push that inspired her to publish Leaves, Trees, and Butterflies. One of my friends said, you know, what are you, what are you doing with these locked up in your phone? And I, I was just like, what do you mean? And he's like, they need to be out in the world, you know? And, and then one of my other friends is just like, you know, if the world were to end tomorrow, or if you were not to wake up tomorrow, what would you regret not sharing with the world? And immediately I thought my poems. And so like when they found out that I wrote all of these poems, they just had me copy some out and, and give them to their students. And they actually did it at a talent show. And, <laughs> and they were apparently the, the students were like fighting to read them. And I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then after my book came out, I lent it to a couple of teachers because it was like reading across America time and, you know, everything like that. And so they read it to the classroom and the, some of the students in the classroom wanted to come and meet me. And it was, it was just so cool. I felt like a celebrity, but yeah. How did it feel to hear your poetry being read? Amazing. And it's just like, just thinking about it, like makes me want to cry. I don't mean to sound emotional, but um, they're just like, oh my God, you wrote that, you wrote that. And, and there was this other student of mine who I was, you know, testing. And anyway, to make a long story short, I gave him my book to read for a little break. And he said, oh, it's a rhyming book. I said, yes, it's a rhyming book. And he just read it. And he's just like, do you have any more copies of these? And I was just like, I do. He's like, do you give them away? I said, sometimes. And he's like, can I have one? And my heart, you have no idea. My heart just melted. And to hear other to hear that other people are resonating with the words that I wrote is just magical and I can't even I can't even put it into words. Is there a recurring theme in your poetry? It's all nature. It's all nature. It's about it's about seasons, it's about the moon, it's about the stars at night, it's about my calico cat it's about butterflies it's just about yeah all nature and um there's this one poem about a worm that everybody seems to like and it's it's about this worm who's kind of not happy with his life and so he goes to explore the world outside and then he realizes you know what i i like my boring little life i i really have a lot of appreciation for it and that seems to be one of the most popular ones um yeah, it's just all about nature. Nice. So share one with us. Okay. So this is a short little poem that I wrote about the moon. It's called Dance of the Moon. 
and it goes, now you're a crescent and now you're a sphere as you wax and you wane ever high. It's your dance with the stars as you curtsy and bow as you dwindle and swell in the sky. Ah, nice, Mara. What a great way to end this edition of the Page Publishing Book Club. Thank you so much. And thanks to all of our authors for being here. If you missed anything, go to 710WOR.com and you download that podcast. I'm Atlas Stockton Rossini. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.